Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the Three and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the Three and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael. All right, guys, some things have happened since our last pod on May 8th, and now we are on the eve of the 2023 NBA Finals. So let, let's recap, guys, starting in the East. <laughs> Get right into it. You ready? Let's do this. We're back. The Cavs yeah. lost to the Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's about where we were, I think, guys. Uh, the Miami Heat's improbable run as an eight seed continued as they showed their mental toughness in winning a game seven on the road at Boston as they staved off being the first team to ever lose a 3-0 lead to win the Eastern Conference Finals. The Heat advanced to the finals for the seventh time in franchise history, and they'll be going for their fourth title. Uh, Jimmy Butler was named Eastern Conference Larry Bird Finals MVP, although there was a contingent of people who felt that Caleb Martin was more deserving <laughs> of the prize. Uh, that contingent was led by Andre Iguodala, the <laughs> hero of the role players. It, it wasn't led by Reggie Miller, except for he was on TV talking yeah. about <laughs> he and Stan had crowned Caleb Martin the MVP, best player of the Heat. Right, right. Still came to voting, but uh, although yeah. Joe Mazzula thought the MVP should go to Eric Spolstra, um. <laughs> 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 but the loser of this matchup, the the Celtics, are now going to uh, they're going to be wrestling with some tough decisions about whether to blow things up and split Brown and Tatum. Uh, get a new coach or see if they can, if Joe can grow into the role. Uh, early rumors are that if Boston does get a new coach, it will be someone who specializes in dribbling. As it continues. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. Split them up, send them to Portland. <laughs> For the three pick, we might, that might be happening. Uh, moving to the West, the Nuggets continue to plow their way through the conference as they swept the Lakers they made it to the finals for the first time in franchise history. Uh, we should continue to talk about the Nuggets' stellar play, but LeBron James had a, an important <laughs> and newsworthy thing to say in the press conference after the Game 4 defeat. Uh, LeBron, being the selfless player that he is, wanted to shift the storyline away from his team's <laughs> failure, and he made a statement that he will be pondering retirement this offseason. Uh, it turns out that maybe he doesn't want to play with his son after all. <laughs> he, he had the realization of every dad with kids getting older that the kids don't want to be around him anymore <laughs> exactly. uh but no but i mean just to be, be clear he was no way you know feeling jealous of denver having the limelight um but if lebron does announce his retirement expect it to be during halftime of one of the deciding finals games <laughs> he'll gather some kids from the local ymca <laughs> tell us that he's take his, taking his talents to the South Beach golf courses. Uh, but back to Denver, the, the Joker won the Magic Johnson Western Conference MVP award and couldn't care less. Uh, guys, did want to hit on a couple of things, some off-the-court news. 
just a couple things. Uh, Bob Myers stepped down from running the Warriors basketball operations. Uh, it's unknown at this point who might replace him, although at Curry's request, David Kahn is not in the running. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've talked since the Spurs won the, the lottery. Uh, they uh getting likely the best prospect in decades, and somewhere Greg Popovich is still doing defensive slides and celebration. <laughs> <laughs> and it's <laughs> been some movement on the coaching carousel as the 76ers hired former Raptors coach Nick Nurse. Uh good luck, Nick. I'm sorry you didn't get the Bucks job. Oh, and then just just before we started tonight, Monty Williams signed the biggest signed the biggest contract in the history of uh NBA co coaches getting almost 80 million dollars to coach the Pistons. <laughs> I have no commentary on that because it just happened. All right, go figure. There's a joke there about Detroit and wanting and not wanting to live there, but we'll we'll leave that one be. <laughs> I did. I told Michael though. I just got a text from my old boss who lives in Michigan, and his comment was, "We're paying twelve million dollars a year to someone who has lost fifty five percent of their games." <laughs> Ran some numbers. <laughs> Man, I know. Good for him. Good for Uncle Monty to get that uh, get the hookup. Yeah, impressive. All right, where do you guys want to take it? We're, we're here. We're at the, the finals. The finals are here. I, I think those conference finals were were just fascinating in each in their own rights. Obviously, the the drama in the Eastern Conference was much more enticing. Um, and watching, you know, how game seven played out. I mean, I think on my list of like possible outcomes for that game seven, I'm not sure I had a heat just absolutely you know, blowing the doors off the Celtics is, is in my top couple options. Uh, I mean, did, did you guys see game seven coming? Well, how, how much do you think the Tatum injury had to do with that? I, I don't think Boston was going to win definitely, but like he said, he was a shell of himself. He didn't look great and they didn't seem to make any cut coaching adjustments around that, which was kind of the theme of the series. But uh, <laughs> no, I didn't see that coming either. Yeah, I thought it would be close. I, I didn't, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it's either close or Boston would blow them out. And it definitely seemed like Miami is one of those teams that just wouldn't care. Like they, they wouldn't care about it. Um, it's impressive that Spolstra, you know, what he did, obviously, as uh, as Joe Maz agreed, D-Love, with uh, Spolstra's uh, great performance. Um He's intense though, man. He definitely takes him takes it like super seriously. Like there's no there's no sense of irony in the heat culture. <laughs> he's, like, he's like he was talking about, I think it was after they won, he was talking about how it's it's uh you know, Riley doesn't like the Celtics and he never has. And that and then he said something like this is a partial quote at least. As the caretaker of the organization, I make sure everyone understands that. It's like <laughs> the caretaker. <laughs> it's like, well, easy, easy. Uh, but I guess that's the way reason he's so so successful because he's just as maniacal as Riley. It is interesting. Like he Riley didn't hire Spolstra. I was reading a little bit about it. Like he oh. he actually got the job, you know, through his dad. Uh he was a he he was starting a D one point guard. Obviously, he's a great basketball player in mind. But his dad was an executive, and 
his dad actually got quoted later on saying the only reason Spolstra kept the job when Riley joined, he, he got the job like a year before that. And the only reason he kept the job as video coordinator is because when Riley left the Knicks, they wouldn't let him take anyone with him. And so he couldn't bring, Oh, really? he couldn't bring his video coordinator. Cause <laughs> just dad's like, he'd be out of a job. If, if Riley could have brought his video coordinator with him, <laughs> but it's a little bit like Van Gundy. Cause like Jeff Van Gundy wasn't, was a Patino guy coming out. Like he was assistant coach Providence. He came with Patino to the Knicks and then he became a Riley guy as well. So it's interesting. And that, I think that, that poor video co- coordinator, I'm saying he could have had a, a lifetime career as, it's as right. the head coach. And as now the, he's in the obscurity somewhere. Yeah. He could have been the caretaker, caretaker <laughs> of the culture. Uh, yeah. He, um, but I do, I do wonder if when Riley left, he couldn't bring his video coordinator and he couldn't, he couldn't bring Jeff. Van Gundy with him. He's like, I gotta get myself a Van Gundy. I got Spolster, but I gotta get a Van Gundy. Get Van Gundy. Get, get stand down here. And that would be my way of getting retaliation is to then drive out uh, Stan when it, when it's the proper time, you know, force him out. Yeah, I, I, I just think what impressed me is the heat. Um, I mean, the heat are where they're at because they've made a lot of shots. It's definitely the make or miss league thing where the supporting cast that got a lot of credit understandably just made a ton of shots and not like easy shots. It wasn't like they were just like running offense and getting like, I mean, some of them were, there was a lot of mistakes that Boston made, but it, it was like, they didn't miss open threes. It felt like, and then they also were like making moves and, and, and taking challenging shots and making them as well. So I think that's the biggest reason, but the second biggest reason is that they, are the team that you know we've been talking about for I mean I think this year especially of just a team that on defense is playing an NFL style where they're not just like doing the same thing they're not just running the same variations on pick and roll defense they're not just scramming or cramming whatever they call it when they switch they do a preemptive switch before a bad defender can be brought up into a pick and roll. It's like, they like have different types of defenses. They run like just having the zone and just the, the boldness to call a timeout. Um, and obviously the end, it didn't lead to a victory, but the end of game six, when they were down 10 and to go to that zone and then to have the zone, have the press part of it, which is like really the brilliant part because, and I'm surprised like more teams don't do this. I've always we we we've talked about the Gladwell pressing thing at length about why don't you have the bench guys press and just kind of like try and tire people out. Um, I I still think it's just at the very least have someone to like just harass the ball handler as they bring it up again. I've said this many times as a, as the slowest point guard in the late '90s in Oregon. It was uh, Oregon high school basketball. It sucked to have someone all over you as you backed your way down the court. Uh, I just feel like they should do that. And I felt like it was so, because if you delay these guys, I mean, the Van Gundy's talking about all the time. It's, it's, if you delay the offense, they can't get into their offense early. Um, then you just kind of get into a low shot clock environment so quickly and it impacts and limits your offensive capabilities. And so the fact that they run that zone, but they make you work your way up the court against that kind of soft zone press, it, it like, automatically they're at like 15 seconds before they start running a zone offense. And it just, I still don't understand. We talked about it. I think, you know, 
with our last pod weeks ago. It was like, just put, just put Tatum at the free throw line. Maybe it was just over text, but like, just put Tatum at the free throw line. Like that was, we put your best player oh, at the yeah. free throw yeah. line. It's just like, um, but it obviously it played into it. So I, I'm fascinated to see that. Like we can talk more about the finals matchup later, but I'm just fascinated to see what Spolster ha- has in place, what they're going to try and do. And it is like Belichickian, I think, at this point, in terms of like his ability to take um, a really flawed roster that has like $15 million on the bench. You know, <laughs> and, I mean, I with Hero's injury, but just with Robert Robinson and uh, Lowry, and that aren't really have had flashes, especially Robinson, but like has basically been unplayable for much of the season. And still, you know, they're able to do this. And I feel like it is like Spolstra is the Belichick of the NBA at this point where he's totally focused, totally maniacal and just willing to do anything and willing to challenge everything. So we'll talk about it more. I have some thoughts about what he'll do against Jokic and the Nuggets. Um, but it's be fun. It's be a fun finals. And I totally share that sentiment. I think the finals are going to be curious just because the tactical advantage that I think the Heat have demonstrated throughout the playoffs, I mean, and throughout really the last four years when you look at their track record, I mean, their ability to sort of like punch above their weight class and how they compete, you know, and all much is made of Heat culture and the conditioning. And I think that's a huge part of, you know, their ability to be malleable. But it it does make for an interesting final simply because, you know, the track record is such that they can kind of they're chameleon in terms of how they navigate these different teams. I mean, the way they, you know, defended the Bucks versus the way they played against the Knicks versus the way they now, you know, approach this Boston series, you know, watching the different role players be put in these positions to succeed. I mean, I think is one of the most. I mean, outside of the Warriors, it felt like it was one of the more egalitarian style of offenses because it wasn't just sort of like, you know, who's your best ball handler, pick and roll, pick and roll, spam it over and over again. But there was, you know, it doesn't necessarily have the fluidity and the motion, but there was an ability for lots of different guys getting up shots. I mean, speaking of Duncan Robinson, he's unplayable in the regular season. And somehow in like the last five minutes of game six, he turned into Steph Curry. Not that, you know... (laughs) I mean, they were literally running the like, but they ran their offense like he was Steph Curry. It was yeah, like they ran the, the dribble handoff thing, the the, the rescreen, the screen and rescreen. I mean, they were literally just featuring Duncan Robinson on offense in an effort to like get get shots up, you know. And it, he did his best Steph Curry impression by missing some of the game winners too. So it it really oh oh <laughs> hey wow oh man but don't dribble don't dribble on the wide open three. It's it's just amazing to watch them kind of go in these different ways. Uh, And so I think it'll make for an interesting finals. I I did laugh that that the the Magic Johnson Award winner and Jokic as the Western Conference MVP and then Jimmy Butler as the Larry Bird winner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They they were both like, uh, (laughs) what what is this ramble jam? Uh, (laughs) We're, we have one thing in mind. Like this, this means nothing to me. I love, so. I, I love Butler's look. I don't know if you saw when Ernie Johnson presented the Eastern Conference Championship Trophy and Bam took it, <laughs> and Jimmy was just like shaking his head, looking at him because Ernie's like, "Oh, Bam, did you take all? Ask you some questions." And Jimmy was just kind of like giving him the Bam look. He always gives him like when he misses a free throw. It's like, <laughs> like this is the big brother. Big brother look. I speaking of looks, I always whenever the Heat win an unexpected 
like when they went to the finals in the bubble or when they beat Milwaukee or when they won this series, I always just think of like, like Riley is just has the Mr. Miyagi look at the end of karate kid where like Spolstra is like, we did it. We did it. Riles. We did it. And he's just smiling and just kind of like <laughs> shaking his head and just so happy. So of course he won't be fully happy until they went, win it. But uh, Riley needs uh, one more ring for, to have 10. So to have one for each finger, uh, he's got nine as a player, as an assistant coach, four as a head coach, two as a five as a head coach i think two two as an executive he's trying to chase phil jackson you know most yeah. rings i mean it's it is incredible like what he did and re- reading uh chris herring's next book which i highly recommend if you guys haven't read it yet or anyone hasn't read it yet but it's like i mean what a great investment by mickey harrison to come in and 25 years ago 30 years ago almost now and grab him and give him a chunk of that franchise um I mean, you see the Monty money, and then that seems like funny money. I mean, it's like NBA teams are finally realizing that's like the most efficient, <laughs> like that's the inefficiency is getting really good coaching, even though they already have 10 assistants each, it feels like. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. But I, I, yeah, it's just so impressive to me, like what they've done and been able to do. And I just appreciate with Spolstra, it's both the like, it's both the mentality and, the tactical knowledge, it's not either or. And I feel like that's where he has a big advantage over Michael Malone is that I feel like Michael Malone is more like he has the edge and the he has the like, you got to play harder kind of Jeff Van Gundy. Like, I just, how many times are we going to hear that? Like, oh, they got to play harder. They got to, Michael Porter Jr. has got to get in the game. And don't, MPJ, after watching him in the playoffs, definitely annoys me sometimes too now, but uh, from his lack of engagement, but that's definitely the, like the Malone. It's not like a tactical. It's just always like you got to play harder. You got to play tougher. And Spolster has that. But it's almost like because it's assumed that they'll be that way, he just can do a lot of the tactical stuff. And um, Well, I think there was some subtle psychological tactics, too, going into game seven. I mean, that was a pretty dicey situation. Like, I, it feels like we knew Miami would was mentally tough to recover from what happened with the the devastating loss in game six. Um, but I mean, I heard someone say a lot of teams wouldn't have been able to bounce back like that. And like some, some, some were saying, well, the pre- the pressure is now on Boston. They're the ones that have the chance to make history, but Miami was recovering from the game six and they could end up being on the other side of history, but it just seemed like Boston was the tight team. Like they, they seemed a bit rattled and Miami was just like, they were, they were ready to go. And and so I feel like the coach has some kind of psychological buttons. He has to, he has to push, you know, in, in the reaction to game six and then, you know, and getting ready for game seven. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think the way they almost won, like how crazy that game was. I mean, they were down 10, right? Late. And it seemed like yeah. it was done. And then they fought all the way back and the, the crazy foul, <laughs> the three free throws and to lose that way. But it wasn't like, they had given the game away. It was like they almost stole it and then it got taken back. And so I think that helped them. But I do think, um, I think they could tell themselves a story of like, well, we almost won. We should have won absent this crazy bounce off the free throw and white playing so hard and making such an incredible play. And we almost won, even though Bam and Jimmy play terrible. So we have, 
where the Boston was saying, oh, we shot horrible from three. Of course, then they they did it again. Um, Both things happen again. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And it was enough. But I mean, it's funny. We're talking about like, I think Spolstra, we're talking about they made a lot of shots. But it's like, I mean, the fact that Caleb Martin is playing like a borderline all-star is definitely <laughs> like yeah. that's that's big. Um, and he's just just playing with such uh just rhythm i feel like i feel like he just is a kind of a rhythm player like looking back at nevada i obviously get him and his brother confused i'm not really sure who's who exactly but i think he has rather play fairly similarly at least did college and when i would occasionally see them and it's definitely like he's better when he's like in the he's in the he's not just like passing and staying in the corner it's like he's got the ball in his hands he's able to do stuff and i just love that he's so he's actually like the guy if Jalen Brown played like him, like in terms of offensively where Martin is like a three dribble player, he is like, I am getting the ball in triple threat. I am going to shoot immediately if I'm open. And if not, I'm going to take a three dribble to the rim or a quick pull up. Like he's like, or the ball's moving. Like I'm not, there isn't a lot of like activity to this. I'm playing a rhythm game. I'm keeping the ball moving. Like if Jalen Brown like approached offense like Kayla Martin does, his game would be much, much more efficient and effective. Um, so, but I think that's like, I mean, Kayla Martin doesn't do take the step he took in the conference finals. Like they don't win. So, I mean, particularly in game in game seven. So, yeah, that, I think that was the most. That was the fascinating thing that I think the way Martin was able to put pressure on the rim, particularly given some of the challenges I think Jimmy was having in that, you know, games, you know, four or five, I mean, three even, but three, four, five, six. And I mean, to some extent, even in game seven, I mean, hitting a couple of those threes helped, helped make things work for him, but you know, they don't have a lot of rim pressure outside of Jimmy. And so having Martin, attack the rim in the way that he did really opened up all the other stuff they like to do. Um, and, and how decisive and aggressive he was and how empowered he was to sort of just go for it. I mean, the fascinating thing to me was that Boston only played Robert Williams, I think like 13 minutes or 16 minutes in uh game seven. He had 14, like eight, 14 minutes. I mean, eight points and six boards. And it, it's, <laughs> wow. I mean, he, he was, he was a total like game wrecker when he was playing and I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom the rotational decisions being made by Missoula because, you know, a guy like Robert Williams playing off ball, you know, Caleb Martin's awesome, but also, you know, like you said, he's a, he's sort of like a, a a three dribble player. It's not like he's going to be a playmaker out of a rotation. If you're going to, going to kind of help over on those types of attacks. So it was, it was curious to me that, that, Williams didn't get more time and an ability to sort of disrupt the game in the ways that they'd done so effectively earlier in the kind of the middle games of the series. Uh, it, again, it was just befuddling. I mean, it's similar to Derek White, I think, played only like one minute in the fourth quarter, even though he was like lit on fire in the third quarter. So, I mean, he was like the only guy who could coherently put pressure on the rim on the other end. So, there was just, you know, if anything, I mean, I think some of the tactical stuff is overblown oftentimes in these coaching conversations and it's more a reflection of the shots go in or not. Uh, but, but I do think the rotational element of, of the way Missoula handled that team 
it, it almost it was almost like they have they just have too many guys. I mean, even though yeah, you know, they really were only playing I mean eight guys before Brogdon got hurt. You know, I think that you know, having you know, I, I I mean this is a good question. I mean, where does Boston go from here? I mean, before we get to the finals, I mean, where what what does Boston who's been you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this after they lost. You know, I think you would probably they've had so much success. They've only reached the finals once, but they've they've been around these conference finals now, I think five times in the in the yeah, in the four gym. to seven years or five four, four. Yeah, I mean in the yeah. sort of like the the run of of Tatum and Brown, they've been right knocking on they, the door. And if they don't make it the conference finals, they're like losing to a really good team that's getting the conference finals. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, so, so like you were kind yeah. of wondering are they the, the the even though they've only broken through once and then obviously lost to the Warriors last year, are they sort of the cream of the crop? But then you look at what the Bucks and now the Heat have put together in the last four or five years, and you kind of go, wow, they're they're they really are sort of one step beyond or behind that it seems like and so i am curious where boston goes from here is it you know is is sort of like is smart the guy who sort of is the odd man out is is brown ultimately the guy who has to sort of be broken up because pain in the supermax maybe is sort of a no-fly zone but simultaneously you know if you're not going to pay him then you kind of have to move him out is there you know what do you guys envision going forward for boston I don't know if I would pull the plug on on things with them yet because I feel like with a better coach, there there could have been a different outcome. I, like I'm not saying they they well maybe I am saying like I mean if you put Spolstra with Boston, I feel like definitely Boston won. They, like they were the better team, and there were some glaring weaknesses with. I mean, like Udoka just had that team, the same team playing at a much higher level. And so I feel like if, if coaching is as big as a factor as I think it was, I, I would still give it a little bit more time. Cause you had, you had a big step last year to make it to the finals. You lost in six games, but you were right there. And I feel like if you, you know, you don't know if Yudoka was coaching, maybe they could be in the finals. So I, I don't think there's an, at least enough evidence as far as their the caliber of play to uh pull the plug yet i'd give it a little more time yeah it's a great it's a great question um and i agree i think um obviously like everyone's like what d love says is right like the coach had a huge impact and i think the problem is that um like what yudoka did in terms of forcing them to play defense at such a high level which they did not hit this year at all i mean maybe in little stretches but especially in the playoffs they were not and he's not with the heat series it wasn't like they the heat hit some like the heat hit shots um but they and i, I think i said earlier they did hit some tough shots like those supporting players really did they played really well offensively but at the same time they were still getting a lot of like rhythm shots like it wasn't like Caleb Martin was like doing work, but he was also hitting wide open threes and, and he was nailing them like everyone it felt like, but it was still open. And so I, I do think the, 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 the mix of players they have, the issue is, is it's, you know, the sports car analogy again, it's like, if, if they're playing at the highest 
possible level with like a coach who's motivated them defensively and they're engaged defensively and they're hitting threes, then they're the best team in the league and no one can touch them. Like the first month of the season or two months of the season when when they were all shooting 40% from three and you couldn't stop them or last year in the playoffs and towards that, that big run they had the latter half of the season where their defense was off the charts and no one could touch them. It's like, they have that within them, but they have to like, everything has to be running the right way. Um, and it can be beautiful when it works because they all kind of share the ball. Everyone can score. Everyone can defend. It's just very interchangeable. But, you know, if it, if it kind of, you know, if you're, if your uh, carburetor is like not doing well, or, you know, the engine needs to be checked, it's like, you know, it just kind of goes kaput. And so in terms of what they should do, I think um, I would re-sign Brown easy for me to say with the cap. But I, I wouldn't cut bait on him. I would just give him the, the contract. I think I think they will trade him. Um, I think because of the cap change, the cap rules changing and the restrictions they're going to hit, it may be that they give him the 250. If they think the 250 will make him a, in a way either a like neutral or slightly benefit from a trade value perspective, they'll give him the contract and then depending on that, they will, I think, play it out another year or or move him now or or in a year because I, I think it's less, I think it's less about, and I would not do that, but I think they will just because um, I do think these rules, I mean, I think Simmons and Rasilla covered in their podcast and we can go deeper on it later in the, maybe as we get close to the summer, but it's, it's, it is like the second apron thing is is real and it's going to have a huge impact. So when we talk about what they're going to do, I don't know. I mean, are they going to just kind of take one more year at it and like re-sign Grant Williams and give Jalen Brown the big contract and just do it and just kind of run it back to everyone? Um, and if they do that, is is Horford going to take himself out of the game? Because it appears people are saying he's coaching the team. He's co-coaching the team <laughs> with Marcus Smart. Like, like Horford should have been playing as much. He was, he was done. Like Marcus Smart shouldn't have been taking threes. Like Malcolm Brogdon to Michael should not have played in that last game. Like Malcolm Brogdon, honestly coming in airballing like threes and missing layups because he was hurt was like, was very, cause when, when, um, when Tatum was injured and Brown was struggling and then Brogdon came in and struggled, it was like, Oh man, this is not, I just started fast forwarding at that point. I was like, there's no way they're going to, and they got back within seven, thanks to White. Um, so I, I, I think they will. I think they. I, what I would do if I were them is just run it back for another year, and then, um, you know, get Brown the contract and trade him in a year. Um, but I think I, I just have a sense they might just trade him now. I think I think Stevens has some of that age, like he has some of that in him in terms of kind of being too early rather than too late. Although too early would have been probably trading Brown last summer when they were thinking about getting Durant. Um, but yeah, it's exciting it, to think about. It, it's too bad. Stevens didn't have more Riley in him and decide toward the end of the regular season that he should just take over. Out <laughs> Joe. Well, I think Stevens, though, I think Stevens personality wise is, I mean, I think he and Mazzullo are Joe Maz are pretty similar. I think obviously Stevens was a tactician extraordinaire. So he has that part of him, but I think, I mean, Stevens picked him, right? I mean, Stevens, he wanted that. Yeah. I, I'm curious if Yudoka was like his call fully, or if it was like more of an ownership. I'm just curious. It's a little kind of like how that all played out. Like, 
Will Hardy, because Missoula was like speaking of Riley and Spolstra and the Van Gundy's like Missoula was like Stevens guy. He was like he was like he was in there because of like Stevens. It was he was like a he was like an organization coach. He wasn't a Udoka guy. Um, and so like he was Stevens guy. And so I think and this kind of ties into this whole broader discussion about the coaching carousel is like I think so many of these decisions being made or about. They're about like Michael's referred to it. And please, no spoilers. I have not watched Succession yet. Don't tell me about cousin Greg or the son-in-law, <laughs> whatever it is, or Shiv, short for Siobhan. Um <laughs> speaking to the former Sunset uh 9798 student body president, Siobhan Clark. Um <laughs> I forgot about that. My hat's off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> D Love is the only person on this podcast who's been the president of his school, <laughs> Terry Linda president, <laughs> 9192. It wasn't hey. just the it wasn't just the year the Blazers lost to the Bulls. It was hey, <laughs> hey while we're on that, you want a fun fact? Uh yeah. both Eric Spolstra and Aaron Rodgers attended Whitford Junior High in Beaver. Oh my gosh, you're right. And Spolstra <laughs> was a Jesuit. It's like, oh Spolstra, man. Yeah. Come on, buddy. And went to UP. And that's the thing about Spolstra. He's different. All these people we see, like, oh, they didn't even play like the Van Gundys and the Budenholzers and all these people. Like Spolstra was a D1 starting point guard like yes. he's legit I re- player i remember watching the highlights of yeah when i was yeah. in like grade school and he was, yeah he was the starting point guard totally um so no success but michael you made the point it's like myers leaving the warriors reminds us of succession and i do think it's we can go into that the deal of that but i, I just think it's so fascinating watching these choices that have been made about these coaches and about kind of who does what and all the different things you were mentioning D earlier in your rundown, but also like Adrian Griffin being picked by the bucks. And it's, it's so fascinating to me because like some of the more knowledgeable bucks fans were like, Hey, Nick nurse might be a great coach option for the bucks because he's sort of an opposite of Budenholzer. He's always, he's kind of got the spool struggle and try things, do stuff. He's very controlling. It's not like I have this program and you kind of just work. You just kind of, we just, add water and stir it's like he's deeply involved and more controlling so we should go for something like that just fascinating me that they picked his assistant <laughs> as opposed to him um well presumably they could have gotten him you know with that job over the philly job if they'd wanted him and i think it comes down to the pro- i mean I, I think it comes down to control and power i think like a guy like john horst is he really gonna pick like adrian griffin over nick nurse um maybe again we don't know i think people point out that we don't know how these assistant coaches will be as head coaches. We don't know, but I, I do think we know about power and people want to control things. And I think for someone like John Horst, who might be the next person, it's kind of a two letter situation. He doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> want to bring, he doesn't want to bring in someone who's going to potentially usurp him. We talked about Yudoka. We talked about Snyder picking jobs that at first glance are like, why would you go to Atlanta? Why would you go to Houston? Look at that. Milwaukee opened up, Philly opened up all these places. You could win titles. Why do you want to go there? It's like power. They want to control things and to their credit. I mean, if they can do it, they can do it. If Monty can get 12 million a year out of the Pistons, it's like good for him. Um, and I think it it goes back to Myers as well, is that um, the thing about Myers, I think people forget is that Lakeb, I remember when Lakeb bought the team, he literally bought the team and then like he came to the Sloan conference within like weeks. And that was the year I went, I feel like my references for NBA basketball, go back to the Sloan conference and go to the summer league with Michael, which are like <laughs> now so far in the rearview mirror that I got to stop uh, 
barring from it, but I remember. No, it all circles back. Sidebar, our first summer league, Jalen Brown. I have this vivid memory of Jalen Brown. He can't dribble. He can't dribble. He got a steal and he had a breakaway (laughs) by himself and he he fumbled it out of bounds. (laughs) We should have seen this coming. And we were all. We were all thought French Draymond was going to be the next next star, not Kevin uh, not Knox, Jaylen. man. I thought Kevin Knox was the next Durant. That guy. Yeah, man. He was, yeah. Good old summer league. But but Lakeb and his his sons showed up at Sloan like within weeks. It's 2011. I think it was like right after he bought the team. And they were sort of the bell of the ball because like Lakeb, I mean, it was definitely early in his tenure of owning the team. And he got interviewed and became a fan. But I had like coffee with ben gulliver and then he was like reporting on this stuff so it was like an interesting time and he um but his sons were there and his sons like are big basketball like they're big basketball people and i think Lake picked myers to come in and he kind of started him slow as the assistant gm and then he like put him as the gm so this is not like a situation like the jerry west situation or or a situation where he had like it's not like larry lacchino like Boston situation. It's 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 not like he had this like senior level, has run teams multiple times before and then brought them in and then like pushed them out eventually. This is like he brought this guy up. He saw the value in him. He believed in him. He wanted him to do it and he brought him in. So that's the dynamic that starts with it. And like Lakeup is like Mark Cuban with like like who cares more people think about him. You know, <laughs> and he has like sons that he wants to take over the team. I mean, that's it's like he is super involved. Like he he will he knows he shouldn't be. He doesn't want to be the Jerry Jones Cuban, but he's like just on this side of it in terms of like he he's like it's he's enough plausible deniability that he's not like calling all the shots and doing the draft picks and everything. But it's like right up to that edge. See more like more like craft, maybe. Yeah, well, no, no but 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 craft, but with no with no Belichick, right? I mean, it's like it's like you know he brought in Myers, they brought in Kerr. It's just a it's it's a diffuse group, and he has the sons who are like deeply involved. And I think if he cared less, people thought about him. His sons would just be running the team. I think, mm. you know, and I think in a, in reality, I think they actually like understandably I have a huge voice in things and it's a collaborative thing and he's trying to like the best ideas win but it's like Myers was never like it's just that's the like that was his that was always the role so it never made sense to me when people were like oh I can't believe like it's like he's he's the first of equals but he's there's a lot of equals it's not just him um and so I was always surprised he didn't when he thought he was leaving, I thought I'd be like, oh, he'll go get a job like at the Wizards job or somewhere where he's like the own only guy and he can do it. Um, what is he going to go on the walkabout thing? Like that's the Warriors Twitter's joking about. He's going to like <laughs> so one of the one of the light years guy podcast guys put <laughs> Sam. Whatever, he put, he put uh, Myers in like a, a yoga pose on the cover of like eat, pray, love <laughs> the book. And it's like the Julia Roberts movie. He's going to go, go find himself. Uh, my last Myers point though, is it wasn't surprising to me that he said no though, because I think what happened, people forget about really like good hearted people, kind, like people that try and do things the right way and treat people. They want to be treated, which I think Myers is definitely that way. It's like, 
He always tries to care for people. He's got his heart on his sleeve. He always tries to do the right thing by people. Is if you don't treat him that way, man, it is like, and I, I'm sure the offer he got was not what he wanted initially. Mm. I think the ownership thing is kind of like a red herring. And I think it probably was put out there by Lakeup. I think, because again, Lakeup cares how he's perceived. Because Lakeup got destroyed early, right? Like when he he got booed. Remember that, like Simmons call him like early on when he, the Mullen, when Mullen was like, don't boo him. He's trying his best. (laughs) (laughs) Like all that stuff. So Lakeup is not going to go that road again. So he may have put that out there. I think Myers got lowballed at first. And then it was like, um, he's like, just has, he's a person of principle. He's going to be like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. Um, I mean, so. at a certain point, you know, being the ringleader of the clown show gets tiring. I mean, I think there's some yeah. element there that I actually think Myers as like a tactical general manager doesn't necessarily he, he gets he's a little overblown. Like if you look at the track record of their drafting and they're drafted at the back end of the first round all the time, they've traded a lot of picks. But like if you look at his roster management at, at these some of these different windows, I mean, a lot of the major moves, a lot of the difference-making moves are not necessarily Bob Myers-led dynamics. I mean, you know, I, I think you look at when Steph and Clay were picked was before his time, you know, all the different, I mean, all the KD shenanigans. I mean, I mean, his his lasting legacy is really pulling off the sign-and-trade with KD to get D'Lo and then ultimately back into Wiggins. I mean, that was probably like the biggest thing he did, but... You know, they they've had limited growth through the draft. I mean, they the 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 two timeline thing basically got shafted because they did they missed on the picks. I mean, that's the end of the day, you know, that it didn't work. And is that, you know, again, there's first among equals, there's a lot of guys in that room, but Bob Myers ultimately, you know, is at least the name on the wall to make those picks and and they missed. So I think from a from that perspective it doesn't necessarily give me the willies in terms of his, his kind of moving on. I think the thing that I, I haven't seen as discussed as much, but I always get the sense of is that he, you know, more than any other person in the entire organization, whether it's the front office or even Steve Kerr, he was the one who was able to sort of pull, you know, all the pieces together along with Steph in terms of kind of keeping the program and the ship moving in the right direction. I mean, it's been much yeah. talked about his relationship with KD, his relationship with Draymond, sort of keeping the kind of everything copacetic in terms of what you need to do when you're dealing with all these big personalities. I mean, you know, how many times have we seen Steve Kerr just seem like he's sick of it all, except he keeps showing up for work? You know, it's it's Bob Myers was the guy behind the scenes, I think, largely, you know, that was able to kind of keep the trains running on time. And I'm I'm very fascinated to see what that cultural environment looks like you know, going into this next phase led by Jesuit's own another another crusader in a in a position of oh, power. Dunleavy. Michael Dunleavy Jr. Jr. Yeah, it's a good point. It's sort of like I think his role was more like Secretary of State than president. It was like he had to go around and talk to all the allies, make sure everyone was united on stuff. He got to make the call on like foreign policy, but then the president could just come in and like overstep him anytime but it was like he had to go to all the different factions and make sure all the everyone was and that would be exhausting I and mean, that would be 
super tiring. I guess what was worse though, drafting what worst decision, drafting Wiseman or not suspending Draymond for punching his teammate? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't or know. wanting to trade Clay for Kevin Love. Right. I mean, I did think about it. If Jerry West was still around, I think they would have hit a couple of those picks. Let's put it that way. I think uh, <laughs> I think they missed Jerry. Uh, but was we'll there see. any was yeah. there any component of Myers just wanting to to leave on a on a high note too? I like think the, that the Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, you, yeah, you, you you don't want to stay too long because when you find out you stayed too long, uh, you know you you don't you don't know until that moment hits. So you gotta like just leave on the high note, you know. No, exactly. It reminded me of like it's ironic that Bob Iger came back, but it reminded me a little bit of like when Iger left, and then it was like the hardest time for Disney ever. And like all these things he had done that like he was just given all these plaudits for sort of had a tough, tough run. Um, so I think that is some of it. I think he probably, he wasn't treated the way he wanted to be treated. And that like hit him in his core principle, I think by the Lakeups. And then I think, yeah, why would you want to keep, like he doesn't want to be the guy that has to trade. He doesn't want to be the guy to walk into Draymond or walk into Clay and be like, or tell staff like sorry like they're leaving it's over like that would suck yeah. so i think he's just and he's so like relational right he's so like about the relationships i don't feel like i just don't know if he could even like bring himself to do that um but yeah it'll be interesting to see what he does i mean i think i do think he's someone who will would get an opportunity just to run a team himself, but it's almost it'll be interesting because it's like, is that his his skill set? Is that really what he's you know great at? But or if he does he even want to do that, let alone does his does his wife want him to do that? I mean, there's an hilarious moment when Lakeup was saying he's gonna run him through his contract to the to the end of June, and and Bob <laughs> Myers leans over and starts laughing and then covers his face as he looks at his wife. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's you know the there's an element where you're like, "Hey, honey, we're gonna move to uh, we're gonna move to Detroit. I'm gonna run basketball operations there." And she's like, "Actually, I kind of like San Francisco. I'm doing pretty good." Yeah. You know? I mean, Kenny Atkinson sort of backed out of a job for <laughs> you know maybe similar reasons last year. So it's yeah. I think there's like there's elements beyond. And know. now he's gonna say, "Did you see what they paid Monty? What What do you think?" <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. I mean. Yeah, he seems like a different duck. He's a different type of person, which made him like what he brought to the table. But I think it's just, it's like he was like the executive chairman of the board. It wasn't like, it wasn't, there was other board members, other people had influence. And it wasn't like he, he was just, you know, he's building, he, he was building a constituency, he's building support for things. So yeah, I'll be interested to see what Dunleavy does or what, what his role is. But I think that is, that would be hard. I, I think I could, I think that would be hard and sort of exhausting to have someone like Lakeup who's so like he's super knowledgeable and like is super engaged with things, but is sort of like kind of trying to do the right thing, even though he doesn't. I really think that he doesn't really want to. Maybe it was like working for a founder who is tries to be like, okay, we're gonna have this good structure. Okay, you're I'm gonna I'm gonna work on these strategic initiatives and I'll stay out of everything else because I'm not that good at that stuff. And then it's like, you're just getting like, email. I mean, I think the local media is like, you're getting emails and phone calls at like two in the morning where like, like wants to talk about like who the top, uh, who the 19th pick is going to be. And maybe you're right. Meyer's wife is just like, we got to get away from this guy. 
It's crazy. But just just not having the structure. I I am such a big like I want to know who the decision maker is. I have no confusion about it. Yeah. But like Lakeup doesn't want to have that. He wants to have like all these voices and you know. I think like I think if I'm Kerr though, I'm kind of like, oh man, because I think Myers like had his kind of like had his he was sort of an honest broker among everybody. And without him, I'll be interested to see like Chris has to deal with Lake of himself now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a firewall at a certain level, right? I mean, it's it, you know, Kurt doesn't have to deal with the shenanigans because he can sort of act as if he's one layer removed. But yeah, I mean, I, I just think in such a pivotal summer where they have so many decisions to make, it's going to be a fascinating sort of dynamic added an added layer of complexity as they figure out you know, how to navigate the new CBA and how to sort of retool around staff and kind of what that, what that sort of culminates in. Are we uh, moving toward predictions? Not trying to usher us along too quickly, but we got, we got to hit that obviously for the finals. Well, yeah, I think this is like, you know, I saw another great Spolster quote. He got asked about playing in the altitude on short, on only two days rest. Mm. And he said, if the Nuggets wanted to play us on Mount Everest, we'd meet them there. So oh, it's, uh, there's, oh. there's a heat culture Easy. coming. I think David Thorpe, I saw someone, David Thorpe from True Hoop said, it, it's not heat. He was said he had talked to like an executive in the NBA. And he said, it's not heat culture. It's FU culture. <laughs> <laughs> So like that could that's kind of a good line. I mean, but again, does Spolster not have any sense of humor? There was he didn't say that with any irony. It was no, there's no like, irony. There's no yeah, irony. Like, no, that's what we'll do. No, it's hundred percent. And he like when he like, again like when he got interviewed after Game Six, and he 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 said something like, "Well, if we could play them right now and play forty eight minutes right now, we would do it. We want to do it. We want to get back out there right now and play them. We'll wait forty eight hours." But we want to do it now. It's like what? <laughs> I don't see that. Just it's, like, one of the, okay. it's, it's one of the principles of the the culture. There's no time for jokes. <laughs> just got to be serious all the time. Todd Riley's known for a lot of things. The sense of humor is not one of them. No. <laughs> Why so serious? Oh man. I will say so. The the Nuggets and the Heat, I think, are a fascinating matchup just because of the level of, you know strategery that Spolster can kind of throw at the Nuggets. But, you know, when you look at some of the head-to-head data over the last several seasons, and again, you know, the supporting cast in in Miami is actually oddly sort of similar over the last several years, whereas the Nuggets have obviously had all the injury issues and then also have added a few key pieces. But it's it's not pretty for Miami. I mean, Jokic has... I think I saw a statistic that they average like 1.65 points per possession oh. against the Heat zone. I mean, Oof. it's like it's like otherworldly where you just put, yeah. you know, you said you want to put Tatum at the nail and just let him operate in that little yeah. zone. Like you put Jokic in the nail and and let him do whatever he wants, and and yeah. they're going to score every time. Uh, so I think on that level, you know, it's what we've seen Jokic do throughout this playoffs, it, it, it feels almost inevitable at this point that that will continue. But, you know, do you guys have, have hope that the, the heat can muck it up in a way to make his life a little more complicated, or at least, you know, it, it exacerbate maybe some of the other weaknesses on the roster and, and maybe let make Jokic more one-dimensional. So 
I feel like we have to give the Heat proper respect for this run that they've had because you could say on paper they should not have beat the Bucks. On paper, they shouldn't even beat New York. Certainly shouldn't beat Boston either on paper. So that they are not a paper team. On paper, they should not beat Denver. Uh, but they're a team with the grit, the heart, resiliency, the intangibles, the X factor with coaching. So it, it's hard for me at this point to not think they can put up a a, a decent fight. I, I think Denver's just been rolling too much and and the Joker is so good that I just I just think at the end of the day they can't pull it off. But I think they can make it, I think they can take it to six or seven. Uh, but I, 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 I wouldn't, uh, bet money on them, but I, th- I think they'll, they'll make it interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, I really want Joker to win. So I'm definitely pulling for the next big surprise, big surprise. Josiah Eni. I'm pulling for Jokic. <laughs> he thinks I only like guys. Like I, I say, I like guys who pass. And he's like, you only like white guys that I'm like, oh, I don't think that's the Cal Durant. <laughs> come on. Durant's he wants hero to come back. Oh gosh, yeah, seriously. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I think you're right. It just seems like the zone is going to be a non-starter. Um, I just trying to think about how he'll defend him. I think he has to do is I think what they'll do is they'll put Bam on him. Obviously, they'll throw Zeller and Love at him occasionally just to kind of like give Bam a breather. But I, I think they have to do that. And then I think what they'll do is never double. And they'll sort of do, they'll just be like, okay, Joker, go for 50. I feel like that's what they're going to do. Because I think they're not going to double. They're not going to zone. And I think they're really going to try and make the other guys create offense. Like, Joker will create offense, but primarily for himself. And then um, all easier said than done. But I think that's the approach to take. I think that's the approach Spolster will take. Um, and I think like, as I look at the other guys though, it's like, I think Porter will cause them some trouble because there's not really anyone, maybe Jimmy, but I don't feel like they'll put Jimmy on him just from a rest standpoint, but like he can get that jumper off on anybody, I mean, anybody in the league, but those guys, those guys can even hold a candle to him on his jump shot. So I think he's going to cause them some problems unless they decide to put Jimmy on him and kind of try and stop him that way. But I think the other guys, they're going to be okay. Just try to play like tough one-on-one defense with them and make them like, make them do stuff. So if it's possible to do it and Joker's so good and they will be in transition a lot and like, it's a partial solution, but I think that's what he's going to do. And then when they go on offense, I think they're, I mean, I just, I don't, um, there's going to be no one for Murray to take advantage of, by the way. Like, again, Murray Murray has been incredible in the playoffs, but he really benefited a lot in the Lakers of having Schroeder or Russell around, especially Schroeder. He just, he just, because when he has a smaller guy on him and he knows he, he's kind of like a post guy who can, like Davis can get to his fadeaway or Durant can get to his jump shot. When he has like a smaller guard on him, he just knows how to create space so well. And she's just, just good shooter and streaky shooter that he just does it. And there's no one like that for them. Like those guys will like the heat will lock him. I think to a big degree, they'll try and do pick and roll. The pick and roll can unlock a lot of that too. So it's going to be a struggle for the heat on defense, obviously, but I think offensively, they're going to really try and target those guys, try and target Porter, try and target um, Murray, try and get Gordon off Butler. And I think Jimmy will have more room to cook because there's not, 
Dallas has some good perimeter defenders, but they're not tall. Like KCP plays a lot taller than he is, but it's not like the Boston where even Derek White's their shortest guy. And like once he stopped biting the pump fakes and Jimmy got a little more tired, he was like blocking his shot left and right too. So no, there's, there's anyone, I mean, Porter can do that. Obviously Gordon, but I just, I, I don't know. So I, I, yeah, I just think Joker kind of overwhelms that, but I think it will be a series. And I, and I, part of me wants to pick the heat, maybe just to validate my Murray point in the end <laughs> that like he's going to struggle and they're going to have a tough time. But don't I stop it, the fight yet. But I think that's the problem, right? Is that if, even if they just, even if they just say, we're not going to like help off on Joker and just let him go, just trash bam, it's like, they're still going to run pick and roll, right? They'll still run a lot of pick and roll. And then they're not going to be able to, they're going to have to come off of people to help with Joker. If he's got one of the other guys on him and they're so small and the post guys are so bad other than bam. Um, but it's going to be fun. And I, yeah, I don't want to underestimate the heat. Part of me thinks they could pull it off, but I just think Joker's so good and I want him to win. So I'm going to go with Denver. Well, I think there's a couple other points that are fascinating. It, it, and and they're all kind of troublesome for Miami, to be honest, is, you know, Bam is like a Swiss army knife defender, but as a center, I mean, rim protection and like post defense are, are neither of those are his forte. I mean, that's what true, he, but he's the most unique center because he can hard switch on the pick and roll and he can defend Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and not be right. totally shafted. Right. I mean, he can right. really like, he can make life not only he can not only compete, but he can make life hard for those guys playing them one-on-one in a switch. Right. Whereas, you know, he's giving up, you know, 40 pounds to, to Jokic, not to mention like several inches. And, you know, if, if Jokic is able to consistently get to that post game, I mean, the way he's able to finish with, you know, Bam's not, he's going to be, you know, chopped the fa- liver and the foul and the foul trouble will be, huge because so I, I do think there's a real role for the the backup bigs whether it's love or or zeller just from right. an afl per standpoint but also just from like a, a a meat standpoint i mean having that kind of girth to at least not just be a speed bump um this is where kevin love being 6x kind of makes it harder though <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it is i mean i think I, I think the other thing that probably gives me the most pause and why I think I ultimately lean <laughs> Denver is I'm concerned both for Bam and for Jimmy in terms of the way they seem to be running out of gas down the stretch in, in yeah. that Boston series. I mean, you know, Jimmy had and the ankle altitude early, now. early on and, you know, had, you know, again, he ended up putting 28 up in game seven, but, you know, his ability you know, the shots he was make, getting and making in throughout the rounds one and two, I mean, really evaporated by game three of the, the conference finals. And you could just see he wasn't really, he didn't have sort of, you know, man on a mission status that sort of he has the reputation for. And, and you know, given his track record, it just, it it means he's got to be more hurt than we think he is. Because again, it just kind of lost the touch and, and wasn't asserting himself offensively in the way that you typically see. Uh, so there's that. And then I think offensively, Bam, he's just, he, he's seeing ghosts right now. I mean, the, the, the inability for him to take advantage of some of these switches that they got, whether it was in the post or really getting at the nail 
when they got sort of either a switch or even just got Horford on an island. I mean, it, he he didn't he, he went full DeAndre Ayton at times where it was just there was nothing going stop, at the rim. Stop. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, I, no, it's that's, true. It's fair. It's fair. It's just like, wow, Ayton and bam, you can't really think that's the only concentric circle in their basketball games. They can't be more opposite in, the other way. in all the other ways. Totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's fair, he, though. It's never... like it's like those weak post up fadeaways where he's like posting up a six to five guy and he's fading away and you're like, it just drop step him and like at least draw a foul um, in the basket, man. I mean, and so that's where I think offensively I get a little concerned because again, Boston was out of sorts in a variety of ways, which allowed, you know, the, the Lowry's and Duncan Robinson's and Max Struces and Gabe Vincent's of the world to really take advantage with some really good looks. I don't, I don't think they're going to have a similar experience, but who can Denver. guard Caleb Martin? Who will guard Caleb Martin? That's the question. I guess KCP. So KCP probably, but so that's there. where, and that's where I think I'll do you think they'll put yo do you think they'll just put Joker in pick and rolls though? because no one's really done it yet, right? I mean it was but who's gonna who's oh, is it gonna be Gabe Vincent and Bam running pick and roll? Yeah, or Jimmy and, and Bam. I mean, but don't you just go under over and over again on Jimmy? That's fair. Right. So who's the dribble? Yeah, I mean Struz doesn't do it. Caleb Martin, baby. I don't know. It's just I, I mean Duncan I still, Robinson. Excuse me. I thought, Is I Hero like, coming back for game one? Uh, they're targeting game three. Uh, I I wonder if they invert the pick and roll and just. I mean, I've been saying it since last year. We talked about it's. Like, I'd like to see them. I'm surprised he doesn't. Spolstra doesn't or Belichick doesn't actually like get Bam like the ball in his hands in the half court more where he's like where they're inverting screens for him. But maybe it's the same issue. They'll just go under it and doesn't really do the same. Have the same effect. But I just, I just, it's been surprising to me that, like, they haven't played, they haven't, um, I guess Phoenix tried to a certain degree, but they haven't really, they haven't played a, and, and Miami's not this way either, but they, they, they got away from playing a really, like, dominant pick and roll point guard. Like, that's interesting, right? I mean, like, that was, that was their, that was their doppelganger at least two years ago with this, with, with Chris Paul was still kind of at the end of his peak and they got away from that. And, and, Jokic has definitely shown that, like that defensive prowess that people sort of, you know, kind of poo pooed. Um, he's definitely been solid. So yeah, it's a, they're all good points. I just, I, I, um, I just want, I just kind of picture. I guess the way you get around is just to run pick and roll a lot with Jokic, obviously, because he's so dominant at that. But it's like I just kind of wonder if there's a way the Heat can kind of just accept him scoring. But to your point, like Bam can't hold up against him. I mean, I guess eight, that's one way Aiton would be better than Bam because Aiton, at least two years ago, he didn't do it this year, but he's, he has shown that in the past a little bit more, at least when Denver was shorthanded. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. And I, and I hope Jokic wins it and wins the title. I mean, obviously like Jimmy winning the title would be cool too because of his, his run these last couple of years. But. Hey, I've got a question for you guys. Did Miami ever forgive the Joker for what he did to Mark Keith Morris a couple years back? Is that still a subplot? <laughs> when the Heat win, resurface? The, the, when the Heat win the title and they hand the trophy to Spolstra, <laughs> he's gonna be. That this was for Mark Keith. <laughs> Doesn't Jimmy still owe, uh, or the Joker still owe Jimmy a fight? Wasn't he? Remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold me back. It was the for the only hold me back Jimmy's. Yeah. I, just thinking it over, I wonder if Spolstra is just kind of has the 
has the Finch whiteboard and is just trying to figure out like what to do with Joker. And then like, here's a knock on his door. It's three in the morning and he, <laughs> he opens the door and he just sees a, a six, eight old man with a gray beard and a hoodie and <laughs> says, put me in coach. I am heat culture. Haslam start Haslam on Joker. <laughs> start in the first game. Get him out there. Who needs Caleb Martin? But Haslam on Joker. This is what they've been waiting for for seven years. If only Spolster had any sense of irony, he would do that. But no, he's too serious. Can't no, exactly. No, exactly. I just love that. Like Haslam, I think he said he wants to get he he deserve he wants to get a piece of ownership of the Heat. It's like at some point Riley has to be like, okay, okay, guys, we can't keep we can't keep letting Haslam think this is all about him. Okay, <laughs> we draw the line somewhere, Dodds. We gave you a, yeah. a millions of dollars for years to make up for that money you left on the table so we could uh, sign Mike Miller. Okay, come on, like you, <laughs> done enough. <laughs> you need to go spend time with your kids, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, right. He's he's gonna retire and be, immediately become an assistant coach. That's true. Sit next to Chris Quinn. Chris Quinn. Well, the finals are upon us tomorrow, and uh should be a fun ride, guys. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the Three and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast, it's a triumph of the human spirit.